0: Hey, we're starting a new a series. So this morning we're going to start a, a series called, uh, what we're titling it is Transformation. It's a big word, means change. Um, how to change for the better. That's that's the big idea. And so for the next five weeks, we really want to focus in on that. So here we are, post-Easter. So we've gone through Easter and we've talked about resurrection, life, and uh what it it means to have resurrection life, to have hope in the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, and he brings us this resurrection life. The question is, how do you live it, right? So how do we enter into resurrection life? Well, it's through a process of transformation. We are transformed uh, into the image of Christ. Colossians 1.28 even reminds us that Paul worked diligently to bring us complete in Christ. So there's a completion, there's a work, there's a transformation which requires change. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I want to introduce it to you this morning. So here's my introduction. You know when you enter into someone else's thing? You know, like Pilates? You remember that illustration? Yes. Was that a great illustration? That was James at Easter time. That's the way he began the Easter message. And then he complained about going to his wife's Pilates uh, uh, uh Program and suffered. And we've, this whole week, we've been trying to figure out how that message applied to the resurrection, right? And so we're still working on that. But what it did give me some time and space this last week is to think about James and how much of a pansy he is for um, the fact that he couldn't really handle just a little stretch and giggle. Because when I actually, um, it's a stretch and giggle class. And so I went with my wife, and I remember asking the instructor, hey, are we going to actually sweat during this time together, or do I need to go out and do another exercise afterwards? And that didn't go over very well, as you can imagine. But, and you know, this comes from a guy that actually barebacks in the middle of wintertime, so something's something's going on there. But um, this is a new series, and it's not about Pilates it's about changing for the better and I call it the big T transformation the big T so how is that going to happen in our lives everyone wants to improve right we all want to improve we want to be good at something nobody gets into high school signs up for cross-country and says I want to be the last on the cross-country team right you would never do that I mean that's such a low ambition Um, but uh, we always want to press in and improve and get better. And in fact, I played water polo in high school, in uh, water polo and tennis in high school. And on the water polo team, I wasn't the most valuable player, but I think I got most assists and um, what I call what I call most impressionable, or really most motivational. I was inspirational, so I got a medal for being inspiring. That's like thanks for being on the team, right? Like, we're glad you're here. You're really an encouraging guy. Um, but on the tennis team, it was a little sadder. I actually, during the, the senior year, at the, at the, the um, award ceremony, remember how you go to these award ceremonies at the end of the year with your team, and I got the butt end of a tennis racket as a trophy for breaking the most rackets. And my parents were in the audience, and I was so mortified that they would find out that I had gone through quite a few tennis rackets. And uh, because we, I, I, grew, I grew up going to the, the Kramer Club, you know, and, and we were members, and, and whenever my racket broke, I would go into the pro shop and get another one. I didn't know actually how they were paid for, but they just handed me another one, and I went back out and kept playing. And I continued to fail at the number one principle of the number one book written on tennis. In 1974, there was a book written, I hated this book, it had a gigantic tennis ball on the front. You remember the name of the book? The Inner Game of Tennis. It was like, it always was like, ah, it was like scree- that screeching sound of the chalk, You know, your, your fingernails on a chalkboard whenever I would see that book at our house because I failed at the number one principle in the book of the inner, the inner life of the tennis player, which is this, and this is a true this is a this is true for life. When you lose a point, you move on to the next point. I mean it's kind of basic, right? You gotta move on. And I couldn't move on. I got stuck because I lost the point and it got in my head. The inner game of tennis is in your head. And I would get so upset and couldn't move on to the next point. And that was the whole point of tennis. And so I stopped breaking rackets because I stopped playing tennis competitively. Took it up several years after that, um, many, many years after that, and um, really started enjoying it because it changed. I just, something changed in me, my whole motivation. But life is about change, isn't it? It's about um, improving, getting better at something. So, what's it really take? So, for a Christian, here's what it takes. And this is what we're going to look at for the next five weeks. So, this morning is a short introduction. And then for the next five weeks, we're going to look at the four key ingredients of, cha- of transformation for anybody. Whether you, whether you follow the Bible or you don't, whether you're in business or whether you're just trying to improve yourself or whatever, these are four things that have to be true of you, right? Here they are. You've got to believe something. You've got to belong to someone. You have to become someone new. And you have to bear fruit that shows evidence of your change. So four Bs, we're going to look at all four of those one week at a time. We're going to start with believe, and we're going to belong, then become, and then bear fruit. There they are. Those are the four things. If you want to change and be transformed, it, it matters what you believe, because what you believe educates you and helps develop the, the skills and the values that you're going to live out. And the thing that you and I believe as followers of Christ is what? What's the primary thing we believe? The number one thing that we hold on to in our faith. Yes. Yes, exactly, which is called the what? The gospel. So what Heather just identified is that Jesus gave his life for us, his life for our life, is the gospel. It is not only a it is not only a pattern for how we live our life, but it is also the power in which we live our lives. It's something you believe, but it's something you live by. And so we need to understand what it is at the core of who we are as people. What do you believe? Number two is you, got, you can't do it alone. You got to belong somewhere. You cannot make changes in your life unless you have others in your life that help you. Number three, of course, is there, the, the change is, ha- the becoming is internal. And then finally, there's got to be some evidence. You bear fruit by taking on a new mission. You have a new, val- you, new value system that, that gives you a new mission in life, okay? So there it is. So that's, there's my, you know, um, my message on change. So we're going to do that, and we're going to look at these, these four things. But this morning, I want to talk about the basis, the foundation of those four things that sit Like, imagine a big, gigantic, concrete block, which is like a foundation. And then on top of that are these four key principles to bring about transformation. You really want to bring change in your life. We all want to change. What is the foundation? It's found in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. That's my sense, is that here it is. This is the foundation of all change. And uh, it it might surprise you, because I'm going to quote a, a dead... Um, theologian today, which I don't normally do, ha, I often do, but this one in particular I think really nails it for us and helps clarify what it is that brings about the greatest transformation and his interpretation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. But let's read this passage together. So here we are. So if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever, um, (coughs) I'll read it from the New American Standard, then I want to read it from the, the message, just to give you a little different feel. And so here it is. Um, okay, so uh, in Romans 12, 1, 2, therefore, Paul says, so he's saying, therefore, in light of everything that I've just communicated, Paul has just written his kind of his greatest work, which is Romans, which is the explanation of why he believes that Jesus, who is the only way, and why he puts his foundation on Jesus, and he builds his whole worldview on the gospel. Right? So he looks at all the other options, all the other Roman gods and, and um, uh, philosophies of, of life and worldviews that you can choose from. And he says, this is the one. This is the one I'm going to put my, my confidence and trust in. I'm going to build my life on this one. And so Paul makes this great argument. And then he says, so he writes 10 chapters on it, and then a chapter, or 11 chapters, and then chapter 12, he says, therefore, on the basis of that, which is the gospel, I urge you to do something. Here it is. I urge you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, it says, as living and holy sacrifices to God. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see that? So it's something we present ourselves like a sacrifice to God which he accepts. Then he says, and do not be conformed to this world in verse two, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See that? So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So it, has a, it leads somewhere. And here are the three components. Oh, by the way, in the the message translation, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Okay? So take your whole life, everything about you, put it on an altar as an offering to God. That's literally what Paul's saying. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you find it that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture and around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you develops a well-formed maturity in you. God's bringing the best out of you. If you want God's best, according to the message, then pay attention. Pay attention. Here's, Here's the foundation of all change. It's going through this process that needs a motivation, it needs a mechanism, and it needs a measurement. And those are the three things that I find in this passage. Three things about how God brings about this transformation and this confirmation, conformation to his, uh, um, uh, who he is, his image, is through this process of motivation, mechanism, and measurement. That's how my mind thinks. So it's this order. So I, what I want to do is look at this. And what I want to say at the, the very start, which Karl Bart this, German theologian that wrote during World War II. He wrote a commentary on um, Romans, but he also wrote quite a bit of theology. And he was writing during a very, very critical time, ter- changing time in Germany, as we all know, um, during the the, the the Third Reich. And the Lutheran Church was under attack, and it was changing its theology. And Dr. Barth was trying to hold to a... Um, a powerful, biblical, Christ-centered theology in the mix of all this change. And um, he has some critical things to say, and probably the most important thing that he's saying about this passage, it's it's very easy for us to get into a work mentality, even we look when we look at a passage like this about inner transformation. We think we can do it. We think we can do it really well. And so we work really hard, and we put out our best effort and what Karl Barth wants to point out is there's a real problem with that. Because when you think about going to an altar and sacrificing yourself or being transformed, you're, getting, you're letting go of everything. You're, you've got to release it all. And there's still things we're holding on to. And we're trying to make this change happen so that we're pleasing to God and we know as well the things that we want. Because God wants to bring the best out in us, Right? But we can't do it on our own it, it won't work that way and so bart has this way of just really reframing this passage and and i hope you get a little bit of, of that but we start with this idea of motivation so let's look at motivation let's look at the mechanism of change and finally let's look at the measurement so the first thing is motivation and the motivation is this um, this is not about self-improvement if you notice in this passage by the mercies of God. So God, Paul is urging this, this church. He's urging them. And it's like halfway between commanding and commanding them and pleading with them. So halfway between commanding and pleading, he's saying, just listen. This is so important. Listen to me. I urge you to do this. I want you by the mercies of God. See, everything is run through the mercies of God. No change can happen unless you have a full understanding of what God's mercy is, which is his grace. It all begins with grace, it all ends with grace. Grace is is what enables this whole thing to happen that we're going to see in Romans chapter 12. It begins with that. God's mercy, though, doesn't automatically produce the obedience to God that he expects. Grace will reign in our lives even when we haven't done the work that we need to do. And even when we do the work we need to do, grace still reigns because grace is supreme over all of our mistakes and all of our efforts. Grace is one of those things that literally covers us that we have to fully, fully understand. And without it, it would truly be impossible for us even to have a conversation about whether we can please God because grace at the basis of it is about a forgiveness of sins. Paul says in Romans 5.21, where sin abounds, what abounds even more? Grace. Grace abounds even more than sin. So even over sin, grace is poured over. What um, Karl Barth says is that um, grace is the axe at which the root of a good conscience is torn down. In other words, we can try really, really, really hard at trying to bring about this transformation. And we can even cooperate. Okay, God, I'm in it. I'm, I'm going, I I'm here's the things I'm going to do. And the minute we get into that mentality, we've lost sight of the fact that we are covered with grace. And we've started to creep into a work mentality and that's really dangerous. And that I, I feel like, I, think, I feel like we've been under this, this teaching for, for so long in the church that's a teaching that basically says if you work really hard and you do these things, then God will be really super pleased with you so let's all do them and we just keep working really hard at them and and we can't and then we recognize the fact well this didn't work and the message this morning is for those that have tried and failed and feel really frustrated like I need a new perspective I need a new paradigm I need a new way of approaching this I need to think differently about this so this is this is really important it's on it's it's basis is the mercy of God, the grace of God. And, and grace is a radical assault on all the things that we try to add to our faith. So you take your life and you take all the good things about your life and all the bad things, and grace is assaulting every single one of them. He's, he's, he's assault. He's, he's just he's hitting every single one of those things and trying to knock them out of position. Bart calls this the great disturbance of God. This is a great disturbance. This is a disturbing passage. If you really understand it, it should disturb you with the otherness of God as a contrast to all of our efforts to try to do what we think we need to do in order to be truly transformed and pleasing to God. Do you get that? So that's where we're that's where we're going. And so. Then Paul says we must present ourselves entirely to God as sacrifices to him. Uh, and he calls it a living sacrifice, which is such a paradox, right? To be a living sacrifice. How, how are you a living sacrifice? How can you live and die at the same time? To be a living sacrifice, I mean, think of the Old Testament sacrifice. The animal died, right? I mean, it was done. It was over. The blood was shed. And on the basis of that, that the animal died and you got the benefit of it, because you're the recipient of its sacrifice. But in this case, you are the sacrifice and you are the recipient of your own sacrifice because potentially God might actually be pleased with it. But all through the Old Testament, be, be reminded of this, that in Amos chapter, um, both in Amos uh, chapter 5 and, and Micah chapter 6, essentially the prophets are saying the same thing. The Jewish nation had been practicing sacrifices for years, and what did he say about their sacrifices? I no longer accept them. In Amos 5, he says, I hate your sacrifices. You bring before me bulls and cows and goats, and you keep slaughtering the animals and think that that will appease my anger toward your sin, but it's not working. What I really want is something else from you. And in both of those passages, both Amos, or Micah 6, 6, 8, and Amos 5, 21 to 23, he says, but I want to see justice be rolled down. I want to see mercy. I want to see you from the inside out, a different person, and the way I do, I see you, is the way you treat other people that are less than yourself. It's how you deal with other people. It's your mercy. It's your grace. It's your compassion. That's what God wanted to see in these people. And so He rejected their sacrifices. So in light of that context, Paul's saying, be a living sacrifice. And you're thinking, and you should be thinking, Paul deliberately used the sacrifice in this passage to tie us all the way back to the Old Testament and ask the question... Will God accept the sacrifice? If I'm willingly laying my life on the altar, a living sacrifice, literally my whole self, my whole body, my soul, every part of me, I give over to God as a sacrifice and I put it on the altar. And one, one particular commentator says, the problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar. <laughs> so we just tend up to like, okay, I had enough. I've done it. I'm, I, I'm not, it's getting a little hot around here. I, I'm not going to burn completely all the way through. I got a little few marks on me, but that's about as far as I'm going. But um, what Paul's saying is a living sacrifice is what we offer to the Lord, and it's up to him whether he receives it or not. And this is Karl Barth's point that I think has influenced a lot of really good teaching on this, and I think this is the point. This is the point. We are now entering into an experience of literally handing over our lives, which he calls surrender. So sacrifice is a surrender. It's fully surrendering your life. I'm going to give you an illustration for a second. So it's surrendering your life to God. And when you surrender your life to God as a sacrifice, and you crawl up on an altar as a living human being, and you give your whole life to him, you're not sure whether he's going to accept it or not. Because we have this sneaky ability to even add effort in that act. Don't we? Look at what I'm doing, Lord. I'm doing this for you. So what do I get in return? And because of that, God will either accept or not accept. What Barth says, God is God and man is man. And there's a great separation between the two, and we need to be willing to... Uh, Understand that even was as he says here in this in in this one section on page 430. He says this. He says it this way. He says. Um. He says with with what method of defense could be more underhand than when upright, moral men. That's us. We're upright. We're moral. Genuinely and rightly concerned about their own existence. So he's. He's playing off. He's, talk, he's saying, good people, we're good people, and wishing to avoid the Lutheran misunderstanding, whatever that is, was going on in the Lutheran church at the time. Suppose that ethical behavior rests upon a number of moral ideas, ideals realizable in this world rather than upon a critical negation of all such ends and purposes and possessions rather than upon the forgiveness of sins. In other words, what he's saying in that, very wordy, difficult to understand, what he's basically saying is, we often put our good conscience and all of our good efforts on the altar as the thing that we want to show God we're sacrificing. We're doing this work for you. Here's, here's our good moral conscience. Here's our good efforts. And rather than recognizing the fact that we are literally supposed to be laying on an altar, surrendering ourselves, and understanding that we are bathed in the forgiveness of sins by the mercies of God what a a contrast in terms of our understanding of saying this is not about me this is about whether God will truly accept the purity of my devotion in terms of a surrender that's how hard you need to think about this this is how much work we need to do to really focus in on what that surrender really looks like in our life so here's a Here's an illustration, just to keep things moving. Um, so this this comes from a, a, a years and years and years ago. A pastor preached on this a sermon on this this passage and used this illustration about a young high school gal that desired that she wanted to be in mission, be in mission, be a missionary. So she decided, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. I want to be a missionary, and went to the mission board, of the church, and the church said two things: you got to get educated, you got to get married because we don't send single young women into the mission field. And so she said, okay, so Lord, I'm going for it. And so she went through her education, went through college, and then went through her graduate program. And she got all the way to the end, she graduated. The night before she graduated, she's sitting in her room. She's so sad and disappointed that she still hasn't met, met the man that she's supposed to marry and go on to the mission field. And I, as I'm hearing this story, I'm thinking, okay, the door. somebody's going to knock on the door, and the guy's going to walk in and say, here I am. Right? That's what I was thinking. And the way the story ended was, nope, didn't happen. There was no knock at the door. And what she realized in that moment, that essentially what she was saying to the Lord is, Lord, I will offer you my life as a sacrifice, but you need to give me these things. I I need these things from you. And essentially what she was saying is that uh, she was serving her own desires. And it was very, very, very subtle. And I think it's something we have to truly think about. And what she came to realize in that moment is that God is far wiser and far, God is far more loving than I can ever imagine. He's wiser and he knows his plan. He knows the timing of things in my life. And he loves me more. Even though I'm still not married, still, I recognize the love that he has for me. And she, he came, she came to a new realization that her new sacrifice was surrendering her whole life her whole life. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. And then God will say to us, well, let me see. Let me check it out. The things of me are things of me. The things of man are things of man. I'll be the one to determine. But are we willing to put ourselves in that risky of a situation? Yes, we are if we've tried it the other way and it hasn't worked. Right? I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if the other way of approaching this doesn't work why don't i give this a try what do i have to lose what i could potentially get out of this is to have a sacrifice that is fully pleasing to the lord because i've been totally surrendered to him i mean that 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 is a beautiful moment and i think that's what god wants to offer us and so that's what's happening in this passage and then there's a mechanism and there's a me- measurement and really quickly the mechanism is this transformation that happens? It says, "Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds." What's Paul saying? He's talking about a contrast of transformation and confirmation, But guess what? They're one and the same. I've always put them separate. I've always put this idea of morphing. Um, uh, the word, the, the word, uh, transformation is the word that we get um, to morph or to change from the inside. Or so The word to conform is to is to conform to an image, like Jello. When you take Jello and you put it in a mold, right? So you take a tennis racket mold. I, I'm sure you don't mold Jello into the tennis racket, but if you did, guess what would happen? The the Jello would come out looking like a tennis racket, right? Because that's the idea of conforming. And so what Paul's doing is is Don't conform to the world, but be transformed. He's essentially saying, I want you to conform to Christ. I want you to be molded and look like Christ, but I also want you to be transformed from the inside. How is that going to happen? Here it is, by the renewing of your mind. Both happen, both the the morphing internally, changing who we are from the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? Right? That's that's where we get this idea of morphine. The caterpillar goes into a cocoon, comes out a butterfly. But also, this idea of conforming or being molded into the image of Christ. How's that happen? Right here. Through the renewing of our minds. And the word renewal means to renew your thinking. Change your thinking. In other words, repent of your thinking. Repentance and renewal are are the same thing. To repent... Is to say, Lord, I'm thinking, I'm not thinking right about this. I need to be thinking the way you think about this. So you take any area of your life, maybe it's your relationships, it's your your attitude towards your parents or um, your job, any area of your life, decision you're make, who you're going to marry, whatever it is, you're putting that on the altar, and then you you're you're surrendering that. But then the second thing you're doing. Is you renewing your mind, you're rethinking the way God thinks about that. Does that make sense? That's how it's done. It's a it's a surrender, and then it's a rethinking on the ways in God works, on the way God operates. And what happens in that process is the transformation and the conformation. And finally, what is it? What do we end with? We end with the 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 way in which we are able to measure it which is, are we devoted to the will of God? Are we committed to the will of God? Does that make sense? Do you see that? Because then we will know what is ple- the God God's will, which is good and acceptable and perfect before the Lord. We'll know his will. C.S. Lewis was the famous one who said, and I think I said it wrong at the beach, but um, he, he, he essentially said there's two kinds of people in this world, right? There's the people that say to God, No, I think he said it this way. Two kinds of people. Those, Those that say to God, thy will be done. Right? It's your will, God. And the other kinds of people are those whom God says to them, thy will be done. It's your will. And that is ultimately where we end up. Either serving our own will or God's will. Um, So this passage, I think, is moving us to um, a full surrender, a full repentance, and a full reversal of will. And in that, in that process of surrendering every aspect of your life, of reshaping your thinking, and realigning your will with God's will, what he wants and desires for you, guess what happens? We begin to change you begin to change. You really, truly begin to change. And if you haven't seen the change in your life, go back and look at your surrender, look at your repentance, and look at your will. Let's pray. So, Father, as we um, enter into a time of worship and response to you, uh, I, I pray that we would think deeply about this subject, about how we... Um, not only engage in change, but how does change happen? How does it, how do you do it in us? And we want to be turned over to it because ultimately, Father, what we know is best for us um, is found in you, not in ourselves. What is best for us is found in you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, into the process of, of giving us new perspective, new um, a new a new a new way of seeing our bodies, our lives in the real world that are shaped, literally, Lord, by your transforming work. May we be willing to um, be committed to that as we um, evaluate even even our our surrender or even our our thinking process, our repentance. Um, Get into the finer areas of our life, we pray, Lord, and um, bring out the things that um, that are still in there that we've left that are little tiny hooks that um, we don't want to let go of. We don't want to let go of because we're still betting on that um, you're going to accept us because of what we do. Or um, I can hold on to my own way of thinking about these things. And uh, I know best for myself. Rather than turning that over to you. And when we do that, we begin to see things really change. So this morning, I, I, I just want us to pause for a moment and reflect on that deeply. Is that happening in my life? Or am I like this high school girl that wanted so badly to be on the mission field but also recognized that in the process she was holding on to some things that needed to be let go of that's a tough process this morning may we be reminded of those Holy Spirit just tell us, remind us what are they? insecurities, pride jealousy uh, insecurity
1: Thank you, Todd. Um, we're going to move now to a time of communion. The elements are going to be passed around, and we will take of it together. So you can hold on to it as you get in, and then we'll take the bread and wine together. But Todd, thank you so much for, uh, for leading us um, in this season. I think, uh, as I was sitting listening to Todd, we, as a church, feel like God has been pressing on us, the Holy Spirit has been pressing on us that he is inviting us into more, to experiencing more of himself, to having more of our lives being transformed by this radical grace and mercy that has been extended to us. And um, I think this this transformation series and this part is as Todd kind of led us off is what are the deeper places that we are having a hard time letting go of right now? Where are the places where we feel like there's so much more in the life and adventure with God that we see in other people and that we want to experience ourselves? Where is that transformation that we see? Where is that total surrender, that total sacrifice, that complete repentance of surrendering to God's will? And this is what we are inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and do, to change us, to transform us completely and he is a loving and gracious God that wants to do this. He wants us to be this this people, this church, this body that's completely transformed and changed into the image of his son. It's beautiful and amazing and challenging and it's going to hurt and be difficult. But this is the God that we love, the God who totally surrendered himself who shows us the example, the perfect example, everything, the beauty of it, the majesty, the grace. And now we look to the cross and see what perfect surrender to God's will looks like. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, took bread as he was eating with his friends and he broke it and gave it to each one of them and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in a similar manner, he took the cup and he passed it around to each of his disciples and said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink do this remembrance of me. been doing this week continue to proclaim the Lord's death until it comes and allow his death and resurrection to change us. So brothers and sisters, go in peace this week in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and let's live lives that are transformed by this gospel. Amen. We're just going to play up here a little bit, but we're not going to do another song because I can't sing anymore. bless you guys. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer, grab one of the pastors.